Hi, and welcome to the Get Richer Teacher podcast. My name is Ola, and I'll be your guide and mentor on your way to a profitable, sustainable, but most importantly, enjoyable language education business. And why would you care to do that, to build a business like that? Because there's literally no other way. The language education market is in a bizarre state. Companies making millions in profit, yet paying teachers peanuts. Native speakerism is still way too powerful. And finally, the students are bored of the same old formats and messaging telling them to speak like a native. I'm here to shake things up, to educate and motivate a community of teachers who have the courage to build businesses and teach the language on their own terms, both solo or in their own language schools, and have a positive impact on their students and the world. Because teachers are superheroes. Let's claim it today. If you've been running your teaching business for a while, you might still be wondering, but what would make it more successful? And today, I'm going to talk to you about the five things that you actually need to unlearn to be able to build a successful business. My name is Ola and welcome to the Get Richer Teacher podcast, a podcast in which I help you build a profitable, successful sustainable, enjoyable teaching business. And I hope you stay. And so here are the things. Some of it might be a little bit harsh. So please forgive me, but it's, it's still love. It's still from a place of love. Um, so there are a few things that I was a bit scared to say out loud to teachers to, to advise them on at the beginning of my journey. Um, because it felt like well, who am I to tell you what you need to be doing? But then I've started seeing patterns. I've now worked with 500 or even more people, um, people who have bought my book courses, people who worked with me closely. And I noticed that there are a few things that very often keep people stuck. So if you are on that entrepreneurial journey, maybe even on a self-development journey, because I very often see that they go hand in hand, um, this episode is definitely going to be interesting. So please take it with an open mind, open heart, and let me know what you think as well. Please feel free to reach out and let me know if any of those five areas, I'm sure there are more, but these are the five that I just thought were the biggest issues. Um, are still on the driver's seat <laughs> in your life, in your business. And if you need help um, with improving that. Um, also, one more thing before I start is that don't ever think that this process is over, that the, the work is ever done. To be honest, not really. It's always just work in progress. And that's okay. As long as you're, um, as long as you're conscious, as long as you know, what is keeping you a bit stuck, then you've got the space and the awareness, enough awareness to um, start working on it. So let's begin. Let's dive in. Five things that every teacher needs to learn to run, to be able to run a successful business. The thing number one is trading time for money. And I see it all the time. So you all start, we all start businesses from like all our paths or can be different, but they are actually quite similar. So we either worked for schools before, worked for online platforms before, or we started 
tutoring teaching on the side from the get-go. My own journey was a mixture of all of these. So I worked for a language school, but also for myself. And all of this work was based on being paid for an hour, two hours, or however many hours I worked of my time. There were obviously times when I got frustrated because nobody ever paid me for um, for lesson planning, for example. But it was always about the time spent in the classroom, whether it was a virtual classroom or a face-to-face classroom. So no wonder that that's the default. There was also a time when I worked as a manager and as an assistant director of studies in a language school where I had a full salary. And that was a very bizarre experience because to be honest, um, like I had a typical nine to five job and I was paid a salary, which, you know, there were some perks connected with just being paid the same amount of money monthly and it was stable. But actually, because of my nature, because of my history, I once calculated um, what my hourly pay was in that job and it was abysmal. It was just so low because I, I don't know what was it like 10 pounds an hour which is which is absolutely like it's below the minimum wage even back then when I worked there so it was a bit of a shocker you know um but anyways uh the whole point is that we're so used to attaching what we make with how much time we spend doing something that we cannot really see another way but to be honest i'm not saying it's never black or white you don't suddenly have to quit all your teaching and all your um all the hours that you spend teaching because you might still enjoy it like like me i like to spend time with people and like i like the hours that i spend working with clients even though uh but not even though but um, I realized that in order to actually start growing this business, this cannot be the main way in which I make money. Because there is a ceiling. I've talked about this before, that there is a very clear ceiling to how much you can make if you make money from working a certain number of hours. Because there are only so many hours in a week And there's only so much that you can charge for that. Like I could be talking to you about raising your prices every week. The whole, you know, podcast could be just about that. But it's still, there is a ceiling, right? You are not suddenly going to go from charging 20 pounds an hour to charging a thousand pounds an hour. I mean, it's possible, but it's not really how it works. So all those people who actually online, when they tell you, oh, start charging more, start charging your worth. We're going to touch on that today as well. Um, What they mean is actually stopping the trading of time for money. They mean leveraging your time in a different way. So by selling, I would say that the first step would be experimenting with at least a small group offer. So that's why the Rocket Accelerator I teach um, this approach of teaching, of running a workshop, a paid workshop as your first um, minimal viable group offer. Then teaching a group program. In a previous episode, I talked about what the elements of a group program are. So listen to that one. 
Um, it's really juicy. Um, and then adding some digital products as well so that people can buy it while you're not working. So they are not paying you for your time, but they are paying you for something that you spend. Yes, you did spend some time creating at the beginning, but then you can sell over and over. Um, that's why, by the way, it's called passive income because you make money while you're not doing anything active, which actually, and this is an interesting point here. This creates tons of resistance in teachers because they think that like there is, there is a certain, like, you know, it, it becomes a core belief that in order to make money, we need to be doing something actively. So all those kind of people who are now trying to sell the dream of passive income are, and nobody is talking about this, they never ever tell you that if you don't work through it on your mindset, especially, you are going to struggle. You are going to sabotage yourself and you're going to be doing tons of stuff that you don't need to be doing before you start selling passively. The passive thing is also another thing because there is the act of selling that needs to happen, but it's the leveraging of your time teaching that we're talking about here. So that's mistake number one, or, or I don't even want to call it a mistake. It's something that we just do because we don't know anything else. But we need to shift the perspective here. We need to start thinking about how can we leverage our, our time a bit better. My approach was never to go from one extreme to the other. So to go from being a teacher, a classroom teacher, or teaching 20, 30 hours a week to not teaching at all. Because usually that's what teachers don't want. They want to be in touch with students. We love working with those people. But it cannot take the whole life. It cannot take all the hours. So it's about finding balance, right? I would say that, again, the easiest first step to me is experimenting with a group program. Yes, you need to know who your target audience is. You need to have some foundations in place. But it's just one of those things that, um, yes, it is still a huge project. It is still like you need to learn so many skills. You need to validate the offer. You need to prepare a program. You need to learn how to do marketing for summertime, create an audience. You need to learn how to launch and how to sell. So there are lots of things to do, but still, to me, this is the, still the easiest way compared to, for example, digital products um, to replace some of your income that you are now making from trading your time for money while working with, especially one-to-one students. And that comes to mind. If I'm not talking here to like language school owners where you are, you know, where you're selling hours in your courses, that's a little bit of a different story. So I want you to take that with a pinch of salt. But I'm mainly talking to teachers who are still like, whose income depends on how many hours they work. The first lesson to learn is to shift that and to allow yourself to leverage your time. Point number two is, and this is going to be a surprise, it's educating all the time. So obviously we have teachers so we educate. We we love that. We love sharing information. We love sharing the law for the language. It's it's great and it's normally an asset. But it there is the other side of that coin. 
when we primarily focus on educating, we are not thinking like business owners. So it's not like you're lacking something. It's just, again, about that balance. You're not suddenly from a full-time teacher who actually loves their job. You're not suddenly becoming a marketer because you don't need to become a professional marketer to run a, 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 a successful business. But you need to go somewhere to the middle. Again, it's about that. It's about finding that common ground between being a great educator and being a good enough marketer to be able to have a successful business. Usually what I see, and I usually see it on social media because that's, that's like the window to, uh, to the world. And that's where I observe teachers in the natural habitat or sort of natural habitat. The classroom would be the natural habitat. Um, is that the primarily focus that they have on social media is still teaching somebody about something. It's less about talking to people about things. It's less about sharing stories, less about engaging those people. It's more about educating. So a tiny shift that you can create here that will help you not educate all the time. So not put you in that position of just always sharing your knowledge because that's not where your worth is only. And that's more on that in a moment as well. Um, is think about stories. So when I was walking this morning, I was thinking if I was to start a teaching business from scratch, I would start by saying, Oh my God. I remember the first time I had to make a phone call when I moved to the UK. It was a disaster. I was so nervous. Sweaty. I would tell people this story. I wouldn't bloody teach them the phrases on the phone because nobody engages with that. People engage with emotional stories. So this is the tiny shift that you can create even, even today. Stop educating. Start engaging with people emotionally. Because from there, your marketing will also become much more effective. Your marketing is not about telling people, hey, I've got something here. Because that's still sharing information. Your marketing should be evoking emotion. So you can start practicing that in your content, in your newsletters, in your social media. Point number three is, that's a harsh one, is projecting their fears onto others, projecting your fears onto others. And I've got a couple of examples. So one example is what literally every teacher I've ever worked with has said to me, they won't be able to afford it. So it's that thinking that you're doing somebody a favor you, by having very low prices or by, you know, whatever, doing something for free. And it's actually your own fear of not being good enough or not doing a good enough job that you project onto others. Because to be honest, how do you know if people can or can't afford it? And by the way, it's a bit rude to be looking into people's purses and wallets and saying what they can or can't afford. Yes, there is a side of it that is a fact. Like there are certain nations that can afford less. There are certain people who historically are a bit poorer, let's say, and I'm saying it in um, air quotes because it's just the word I didn't want to use here, but um, out of a better one. For example, teachers. Teachers are naturally poorer, right? Still, I'm making a quite a decent income and I'm not saying people, teachers won't be able to afford it. 
because it's not there. I'm not going to project my fear, although I have done in the past, onto others and kind of create stories about their um, spending power or about what they can or can't do, what they will engage with, what they won't engage with. The only way to check is by experimenting, by putting things out there, whether it is free content or paid offers and seeing how people react. That's it. Otherwise, it's guessing. It is really guessing based on fear. So that projection, those projections, so that's one way they, uh, in which they manifest. Another way is I see it in like Facebook groups and forums all the time. Teachers saying like, oh, I had it. And it's always about money because that's the most taboo and like tricky subject for all of us. A teacher posts and says, oh, I had a sticky situation with a student. She said my prices are too high, so she can't continue with me. By the way, completely normal. We should just let them go. We shouldn't be even like sort of analyzing the situation because it's not our business. If somebody says, it's not for me, it's too expensive. It literally is not none of our business. But people like to dissect it, which is okay. It's human nature. But then they say, oh, how come this same person can afford going and having their nails done, but they can't afford an hours of the language? That is such toxic thing that doesn't come from nothing but your own fear. Your fear that your work is less meaningful than nails, having having nails done or or like a manicure. So this is actually awful because there is absolutely no comparison between an, a language lesson or a language course and a manicure because they are completely different things. Like honestly, if I was going to a super important party, or even if I was getting married, what would I need? A language lesson or a bloody manicure? Obviously, I would need a manicure. And in that case, a manicure is actually super important to me. So why would we even compare? It's our fear. It's the fear of not being good enough. So next time you're trying to dissect it, and I know I'm being very harsh here, but I know we kind of fall into those toxic thought spirals and it's not good for us it's not good also for those beauticians who do manicures because they haven't done anything wrong they just give people what they need a manicure that's it or whatever a plumber or something right there is no comparison and and stop looking people into their wallet people it's not that they don't care so the way i see it is that somebody if somebody says Oh, your lessons are too expensive or whatever. The way I see, and but they can pay for a plumber or for a manicure or for some other service, a hairdresser. It doesn't mean, it absolutely doesn't mean that they don't care about those lessons, that they don't care about their language progress. It's just not a priority anymore at this stage of their life. And we should be absolutely okay with this. We cannot force people to do anything because that's how frustration is created. People then don't commit. People don't, people come late. People cancel lessons. That's how it happens. If we're desperate for people to pay us the money, um, then this is what happens. So I would just drop it. Point number four is attaching your work 
to your work, which is kind of like a continuation of that. So my personal pet peeve um, is the phrase, um, charge your worth. I find it extremely toxic because it suggests that you can put a price tag on your worth, on you as a human. Is that even the case? Absolutely not. You are priceless. You're a human being. Your worth is infinite. It's like all those woo-woo things. They, they actually make sense. You cannot put a price tag. And I know in many cases, people don't mean it in that way. They mean it as a mental shortcut. They mean it as a way of saying, charge for the worth of the work that you do. But by saying this, charge your worth, we are only reiterating the notion that our worth is attached to our work. So stop doing that. That's it. But it also manifests in other ways. It manifests in us getting upset if our social media content doesn't work, us getting upset if people are not buying, us getting upset if, um, you know, things are not working in business. We need to detach. We need to like create distance because these two things have usually no connection. When your content isn't working or is attracting teachers or, or the wrong people, it means that you still haven't cracked the content. And that's just a fact. It doesn't mean anything about you. You just haven't yet cracked what the right thing to post is. That's it. And you can learn it. Number two, if people are not buying, you probably still haven't learned sales. That's it. If you, if your business is not working as well as you want to, it's probably because something is still not working as it should be, which doesn't mean that you are stupid, silly, behind or whatever. It just means that it needs a tweak. That's it. That's it. So stop attaching your work to your work and to your business because it's pointless. It keeps people stuck from going and actually asking for help and learning things that are useful. And finally, point number five is something that I've started noticing recently, um, and I called it a gatekeeping your brilliance. So a lot of people recently have said to me that they are scared to actually put things out there out of fear of being copied or out of fear of, I think it's mainly been ashamed or like being ridiculed. I think that's that's what they are trying to say, maybe not directly, but I kind of figured it out that it must be that because otherwise why, right? Most people that I know are absolutely brilliant. Like I have to convince them sometimes that they are brilliant. And then if I tell them, it's like, for example, sometimes people send me feedback in, send me stuff for feedback in my programs in the Accelerator, especially, they, they can do that weekly for our calls. And they would send me something and I would say, this is brilliant. And they would like kind of doubt it and look at me, but are you sure? I'm like, so this is not a me problem. This is not a me. This is me, not a problem where I, I'm not giving enough feedback. It's a problem where they doubt their brilliance. So they hide it. They gatekeep it because they don't think it's good enough. Like I had a client who actually said, Hey, um, but could you like actually correct what I've written here? And I'm like, but there is nothing to correct. And then 
you know, they probably, their brain is telling them, oh, she probably didn't read it. She probably didn't look at it into. I do not criticize things for the sake of criticizing them because I do believe that we get way too little positive feedback and we're way too used to asking for criticisms and criticism and negative feedback. And there is absolutely time and space for negative or like constructive criticism, but also good feedback and praise are very often what's missing. And that's why people are so afraid to share what they know. They are also afraid that it will be copied. That is a thing that is unfortunately something that we need to work through. It's, I don't think it's fully, um, I, I think it's actually inevitable. At some point, somebody is going to copy something that you've done because if it's good, it could bound to be copied by someone because somebody else will see it as valuable. I've been copied three times so far. And yes, I get annoyed every time, but there is actually no, there's actually no way. Like I could pay for lawyers and stuff, but like, obviously I'm not going to do it. Um, it will depend on the like importance or the significance of the thing that got copied. But in general, like you, you just accept it and you move forward and you show those people that you cannot be broken. That's the only way. And also there is a certain energy and certain light that gets created when you unapologetically share what you're great at, what you've got to share with the world, whether it is materials, whether it is courses for students, whether it is, um, I don't know, just thoughts in your blog, all of this matters. And you actually don't know until somebody has a very big reaction to it, if it's good, because you are like, like most of us, we look for external validation, but to be honest, being copied is a little bit like external validation. So I know it's awful. It kind of is. Um, so these are the five lessons. I want you to sit with it, but also message me because I'm super curious what you thought about this. In the rocket accelerator, especially, it's such a big program. It's six months. So we get to work. Not only on you having a fantastic business, but although no, I'm saying this now and, and now it makes no sense because to me, a fantastic business means that the owner is also happy, is feeling like they're making progress, like they're developing as a human being. So the coaching element in that program is extremely important there. It's not just about building a course, about learning how to launch and sell. It's also about integrating all the parts of you into your business, because that's to me is a profitable, sustainable and an enjoyable business. That's it. So marinate on it. Let me know what you think. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. You know what, teacher? I'm so proud of you. If you're listening to this, you are ready for a change, whether it is to quit hassling for peanuts or working with other people who don't respect you. I know you've got it in you, and my podcast is here to help you do that weekly. To be reminded of new episodes, sign up to my newsletter. It's in the show notes. You'll also receive lots of tips, support, and special offers. I'm committed to supporting you also via my coaching programs and courses. You can work with me in my flagship programs, the Rocket Takeoff or the Rocket Accelerator. The Rocket Takeoff will take you off the one-to-one -one teaching hamster wheel to more peace and more well-paying students.
the Rocket Accelerator will help you finally launch a group class that will be perfect for students that are a joy to work with and so you can leverage your time and do what you love while having space to breathe or read another self-development book. If you're a language school owner, I've got things on offer for you too. Simply go to my website, olakowalska.com, to check them out. Finally, please share this podcast with your teacher friends, rate it, and subscribe. I'm your biggest cheerleader. See you next time.